0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We'll be in the fourth chapter of the books of Acts. Verses 23 through 31 this morning. The title of this morning's message is Just Keep Praying. Just Keep Praying. The great Adrian Rogers once said that the greatest problem in the average church is the lack of knowledge that the members have of the power that they possess through prayer. We have access to the great physician. We have access to the creator of the universe, the sovereign and holy God through the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And we often walk into life with a prayer that would be embarrassing. In fact, If prayers were ammunition for life's battles, I would say that most of us would have a prayer life suitable to arm us with a water pistol. Sorry if that hurts your feelings. In fact, if I were a physician given a diagnosis on the condition of not just this great church, but of churches throughout America and throughout our world today, if I were a physician given a diagnosis... uh, would be forced to diagnose that corporately we do not pray as we ought to. We do not go to the throne of mercy as we should together as a group. I'm not suggesting that no one individually prays. I firmly believe that many of you do. I firmly believe that I do. I firmly believe that many of you pray for me. And I certainly covet your prayers and appreciate those. But corporately, as we see in Scripture with the early church, we don't get together and pray in one accord Together for things that really matter, for things like the power of God to fall upon us. We don't corporately get together and do that. And the reason that it's an important diagnosis, if I might carry on with a medical analogy here, is is that as a physician diagnosing that a church is not praying as it ought to, it wouldn't relate to your medical doctor diagnosing that you have a cough or a set of the sniffles or that you have sore joints. It would be a far more dire circumstance that it would be talking about. In fact, it would be more like a stage 4 cancer or a cardiac problem or some kind of impending doom of your heart condition. Because just like those conditions in the body, you don't ever know when they're going to creep up and they're going to bring the body down. The prayer life of a church is indicative that at some point in time, things are going to spiral out of control if we don't pray as we ought to. Why? Because when we pray as we ought to, we give to the Father God in heaven the respect and the adoration that He deserves. We say, Father God, we realize we cannot of our own accord, but we need that You would, God. We cannot do this on our own, but God, that You would commune with us for just a moment. God, that You would come down and dwell among this place, among this people, in this time, in this life, that we might... Do your work, God. Because what happens is when we fall out of prayer with God, we begin to live our lives in such a way that we say, God, that I might do my way and my will at my time in my church. When the church doesn't belong to any one of us, it belongs to Father God. But many church leaders, many church leadership committees have sat in the pews and banged their heads saying what's missing we're preaching as we ought to we're singing as we ought to we're doing all of these things but the church just lacks a certain spirit. The church is lacking just a certain something. And and they try new methods, and they try new things, and they try new programs, but more often than not, the problem is not the way you're doing things, it's not the method you're using, it's not the the number of people you're using, it's not the people that you have doing the things that they're doing. The problem more often than not is that you're not praying that the vision would be God's. And that is that little oomph. That's missing when you're doing everything right, you can't figure out what's not going right. More often than not, it's prayer. But here's the good news. If the diagnosis is a lack of prayer, the remedy is easily and readily available. Anybody want to guess what it might be? Listen at you. And so this morning, I urge you to be willing to pray one more prayer. Look for an opportunity to pray one more prayer. And when you're done with that prayer, look for your next chance to pray another prayer. Always looking forward to when do I pray again until your entire method of how you operate in your life becomes that I will bathe this situation in prayer before I do anything. And if we get to that point in time as a church, watch out, Wilson County. Watch out, world because Christians have started going to the throne of mercy before they do the things that they do. So let us stand and we're going to read from the book of Acts beginning in chapter 4, verse 23 of what I would call a good old-fashioned prayer meeting in the early church in the book of Acts. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord... You are God, who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and to the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done." And now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We ask you bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, Lord God. We ask that you would do what only you could do. And that's dwell among this house and your people this morning, Lord Jesus. God, you call to our attention the the anemic state of our prayer lives. And at the same time, call to our attention the power that we possess through prayer to you, Father. Use this message to change this people, Lord God. And we ask this in your holy and blessed name. All God's people said. You may be seated. In many instances in our lives we we pray, but we pray with little gravity. We pray with little depth in our prayers. Uh, You know what I'm talking about if you're honest with yourself. We pray those rehearsed moments. There's very little depending on the Spirit for guidance even in that prayer. It's a prayer that we already thought that we were going to say. It's the same prayer that we say at the same time every day and we utter the same words. And it becomes rehearsed. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't repeat a prayer every day. But what I am saying is that too often uh, we allow our prayers to just become something else we do just like I'm going to call Mama and them. But can I just tell you that your prayer life to God is way more important than that normal call that you make to Mama and them though you should continue to make that call. That life with, with prayer with God is an opportunity for you to commune with the Father. Many prayer meetings have been littered with, with so many innuendos and so many little catchphrases that if you hovered above the good old church prayer meeting, you would think you were reading the signs on the wall at Lifeway or on the coffee mugs. Not that you would think that you were listening to a group of people that were looking to siege heaven and praise God in such a way to get his attention that he would even hear their prayers. Because we've become so complacent. And we've become so easy. And can I just tell you that praying to Father God is way more important. Now, I'm in no way saying you should never utter the words that are found on your coffee mug. You're welcome to do that. But the attitude of your prayer and the groaning of your spirit should reflect the magnitude of what you're doing. You are growing, going to the God that created the universe. You are going. To the God that breathed this all into existence. And you should go with some intensity. And you should go with some brevity. And you should go in communion with the Father for exactly what you are doing. And so the first thing we're going to see about this first prayer meeting is that they see the sovereignty that they recognize. The sovereignty that they recognize. The, The subject of this prayer meeting was quite different from many of our prayers. They were not worried about many of the tedious things that we deal with today. They were instead focused as they gathered together on the dire truth that they had just been commanded to stop uttering the name of Jesus in any way. They had just been told by the government by the Sanhedrin that they could no longer preach in the name of Jesus and so as they gathered with this prayer meeting it was a a very important prayer meeting. The very thing that they had been founded on had been challenged and they had been told they couldn't do it. And when they got together, they said, God, show us a way to continue preaching your word. They've told us that we can't, now show us how that we can. And by verse 31, I'm just going to tell you that God not only responded, but he responded in a magnificent and mighty way, the likes of which many of us have never experienced. And they recognized several things first about the sovereignty of God. And I want us to just look at those because... I believe that verse 24 gives us something that often we miss. Look at verse 24. But part of the way through the verse, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. Let's just stop right there for just a moment. Dr. Tony Evans once said that prayer without putting it to the name of Jesus is like sending a letter without putting a stamp on it. The contents can be awe-inspiring, but they will not be as effective. The first thing that they did as they prayed was they recognized the glory of God. They recognized the magnificence and the glory of God. The word here for Lord is our word for master. And it literally means someone with an unlimited and unbalanced power. When they say, Lord, you are God, they're saying... O one with an unlimited amount of power. O one whose power never ends. O one who has no limit and no time and no restraint. You are my God. Now think about the importance of that as you pray. The Sanhedrin had just told them to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And straight away they gathered. And immediately what they did essentially with those words, Lord, you are God. Essentially what they did is said the Sanhedrin can say whatever they will but they're not the all-powerful authority here. We will pray to God. Uh, Let me tell you something this morning. The government may very well one day tell us that we can't gather and worship. Now I know we sit in America And we feel like we're insulated from that. That's something that the people overseas have to deal with. That's something that people in other places have to deal with. And you're right, people in other places right now this very morning are hiding in buildings and going in people's homes to have church because the government says they can't have it, but they continue to try. But we sit in this building gathering at whatever time we decided we were going to gather because it was most convenient for us as a group. Uh, But there may very well come a day... When armed guards sat in front of this church saying that we cannot come and gather. But just because they don't let us come and gather in this building doesn't mean they can stop us from gathering corporately and preaching the name of Jesus. No matter what they say. Why? Because no matter what government or principality says the authority belongs to God. He is the master who has the limitless power. Uh, Let me tell you something else. Somebody in this house has heard this morning someone has heard someone tell you that you had no hope at some point in your life you had somebody perhaps well-intentioned to tell you that you should give up on that path because A different path would be the one that you were most suitable for. You were incapable of continuing in the other way. Some ones have been told that your son or your daughter has very little hope of moving forward and moving on. Some of you have been told that your decisions have put you into a situation that you can't dig yourself out of. You just can't get out of that situation. But what I'm here to tell you is that they don't have that power. No man and no utterance of man can have the power of the Almighty God if we would just go to Him and pray and begin our prayer with the recognition that Lord your power is all power and nobody else has power to tell me that you can't move heaven, hell and earth to change my situation God but I can't change it on my own I have to serve a God who has an unlimited and unbalanced power and has the final say first we see the glory of God but I'm not finished we're also going to see the greatness of God so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Oh, Lord, you made it all. God, you made it all. God, you are my limitless master and you made everything I see. You made it all. You are great, God. Uh, they're calling out to God, acknowledging who he is. It's just, you know, I want you to just Try to go with them. All right, the Sanhedrin, the most high court in the land, has just told them, don't preach Jesus no more. And they get together and the first thing they do is pray through Jesus to the Father. They say, God, your power is, is, is unbelievable. I don't care what the Sanhedrin says. And then they seem to go on and say, God, the Sanhedrin ain't no problem for us because we serve you, God. And you scooped out the oceans And filled them up with water God you spoke the trees into existence God you you spoke the mountains into existence God you you brought me into existence God you you brought the fish and the fowl and the birds and the beasts and all the living things and all the non-living things and everything we see God every single thing in front of us you created God you are great You are amazing, God. You are worthy of worship. God, your power is limitless. You made it all. And if you made it all, then surely the Sanhedrin can't be a bump that you can't cross. You see, I fear that far too often we fail to recognize that when we pray, we're praying to a God that in history past stepped out of nothing and spoke everything into existence. Now I want you to think about that just for a moment. Daniel 11.32 says that the people who know God shall do great exploits. If you know the same God that I know, then when you pray to him, you should recognize that he stepped out of nothing and made everything with his words. Now I don't know what problem you're dealing with exactly. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. But what I do know is it can't be no more hard to overcome than stepping out of nothing and speaking everything into existence. I don't mean to belittle your problem. I just mean to tell you that it's not above the greatness of God and the glory of God. They recognize the glory and greatness of God. But I want you to see they also recognize the governance of God. Look at verse 25 to 26. Uh, Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And and this is from Psalms chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Can I just add that if in their prayer life they began quoting scripture, then they must have been immersed in scripture in their normal life. They had to have been studying scripture continually to be going to God in prayer and suddenly go, wait a minute, this reminds me of Psalms chapter 2. This reminds me of when David wrote in Psalms. We should immerse ourselves in the word of God and it might ooze its way into our prayers to God, but that's another sermon for another day. They begin to quote from Psalms 2 and they begin to recognize, but then verse 27 and 28 they do something else. They begin to apply what they read in Psalms chapter 2. Why did the nations rage and the people plotted vain things? The kings of the earth made their stand. The rulers were gathered together and against the Lord, against His Christ. And in verse 27, against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pilate with the Gentiles and the Jews were gathered together. They're saying in their prayer, God, we recognize that There have been other times when the situation looked bleak. They're talking about the hill of Calvary is what they're talking about. What they're saying is that this looks tough right now. The Sanhedrin has just told us to quit preaching the word of God. And you know, if you allowed your emotions to take control of you, had they allowed their emotions to take control? When the Sanhedrin said, you quit uttering the name of Jesus in any way, Their emotions would have said, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? They said, don't do it. These are the people that have the power to throw us in jail. These are the people that have the power to excommunicate us. These are the people that even have the power to kill us. So I guess we better just quit preaching the name of Jesus because these are the people that have all the power. But instead, when they prayed to God, they began to recognize something. They began to realize something. They began to realize that, there was a time in the past when it seemed like hell was winning the battle, wasn't there? They, they said, oh, wait a minute, I remember this. There was a time in eternity past that I remember just, just not too long ago that on a hill called Calvary there was a Savior named Jesus that stretched out His arms and He bled and He died and there was an empty tomb that He was laid in. I remember that and I remember that when He, the bloodstained Savior, was laid in the empty tomb, I remember there was a heavy rock Placed in front of it, and it seemed that all was lost and that Satan and hell had won. There was a time when it seemed that the rulers of this world had victory over Jesus Christ. But in that memory of Calvary, can we just recognize the same thing that I believe they recognized that night? They recognized, they said, God, when the chips are down, you're the one that comes out swinging. God when all hope seems lost you're the one that seems to deliver the victory God when it seems like our back is against the wall you're the one that always seems to come out on top on Calvary's hill and in a tomb you came out on top because that stone was rolled away and that Jesus waltzed out and he hung out with his disciples and he went to heaven he had a seat at the right hand of the father that he had rightly owned, earned and gained and hell was defeated he gave one final kick to Satan right in the teeth and he said I've won this victory it looked like I lost but I was winning the whole time I was doing what I set out to do you didn't do anything Satan hell you didn't accomplish anything world you weren't doing anything I was strapped to that cross of my own accord and though the whole world thought we were losing we were winning and can I just tell you that when the Sanhedrin said to them you quit preaching the name of Jesus I think as they prayed they recognized that even though things looked bad They said, I'm going to call on the truth of scripture that says God is working all things out together for the good of those who love him and call upon his name. Somebody here needs to apply this to their prayer life. Somebody here needs to hear this this morning. Though my family be against me, though my job be against me, though the world seem like it's against me, though the chips seem like they're stacked up against me, though the ship may sink and the wall may fall, can I just tell you that God is in control of it all. And when you pray to Him, and you acknowledge, God, you are God. And you rule it all. You start to recognize that the one you're praying to has power and sovereignty over the situation that you're living in. Can you just imagine if they had prayed the way that many of us would pray today. Oh God, what are we going to do about that Sanhedrin? Oh God, who's going to take care of my family if I get put in jail? I can't preach Jesus no more. Who's going to watch over my kids when I'm in jail? Oh God, what are we going to do about the Sanhedrin? They said they's going to kill Peter and Mark and John. What are we going to do? Folks, can I just point out something to you? I don't see nowhere in this Word of God where we see a hand-wringing, concerned prayer uttered from the saints of God in the early church. I don't see them praying a hand-wringing prayer. I see them praying a Christ-exalting prayer. You want to figure out how to get the results that they got? Then I want you to pray with the sovereignty that they recognized in their prayers. But I want you to notice, too, the supplications that they requested. They weren't praying that God would rain down fire on the Sanhedrin. They didn't pray that God would allow enough signatures to get on their petition that they could take it to Rome and ask Rome to tell the Sanhedrin to leave them alone. They didn't say, I wish Rome would change the legislature. Can we raise enough votes to get Rome to do something different? They didn't request that God would remove them from their mission field and place them in a safer location where things would be easier. They didn't say, God, take me out of this situation. They didn't say, God, end this situation. They didn't do any of that. Their prayers were not selfish at all. What they really prayed for is that, is that God would help them do the very thing that he called them to do anyway. They just prayed, God, do with me what it is that you want to do with me. God, allow me to do what you called me to do. Don't don't change my situation. God, don't don't end the Sanhedrin. Don't kill them all. God, allow me to do what you called me to do. Psalms 37, 4 says, If you delight yourself in the ways of the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. And what we see them doing is delighting themselves in the ways of God. They're saying, God, your ways are perfect. God, your ways are true. And that's what I desire is to do your way. I desire to preach your word because you called me to do that. And God, I want you to to work whatever you have to work in this situation. Warren Worsby says of this kind of prayer, it's not asking God to do man's will on earth, but God to allow man to do his will for heaven. And when I think of that kind of prayer, I say praise God and then I say oh no all at the same time. Verse 29, they prayed that their mouths could just speak the gospel of God. God, just, just let me preach your gospel. Now, we're not going to turn back there, but if you want to make note of this and look later, all the way back in verse 17 of this same chapter, the Sanhedrin says, don't. Don't speak the name of Jesus. And then Peter and the leaders go on to say, woe be to us that we don't preach. We can't, we can't stop preaching the name of Jesus. So in verse 17 they're told don't speak. By verse 31 they're speaking the name of Jesus with boldness and authority. And so how did they get there? How do they get from, from the people in control say don't to by verse 31 they're doing it and they're doing it gladly, proudly, and boldly. And I just say this, it was just by the power of God. They recognized that God was in control and that God was powerful and that God was sovereign and they asked God that his will would be done. God, if you give us the strength and the ability, no matter what the consequence, we'll open our mouths and we'll utter your name, even though they said don't do it. Their prayers, quite frankly, are an indictment against many of us today, self-included. I'll fall on the sword with you on this one. And why do I say that? Well, because quite often... I don't pray in this fashion I pray God get me through this situation God show me the light at the end of the tunnel but what they prayed was not that they would be delivered through it they said God help me glorify you in it God, God don't just get me out of this situation don't pluck me out of it God use me in it don't, don't remove me from it that I can go somewhere easier God use me to change it where I'm at use me where I'm at use me in my suffering use me in the trouble use me to glorify you in this spot that I'm in that I don't want to be in. And that's essentially what they were saying. God, even though the Sanhedrin said, stop, show me how I can go. E- even though the Sanhedrin said, no more Jesus, show me how I can proclaim Jesus in everything that I do. Verse 30, we see them talk about stretching out his hand and healing and signs and wonder. And I'm not going to go way into it. I just want to let you know that that back in chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 3, they healed a man who was, who was lame. And, and when they healed him, that got the attention of the Sanhedrin. And that's what really started to bring them under this fire. And essentially what they're saying here in verse 30 is they're saying this, God, if you'll just let me preach your word... If you'll just let me boldly go and proclaim the name of Jesus, then I'm fully aware that you'll continue to stretch out your hand and you'll continue to heal people and people that are hurting will continue to get better and you'll continue to use us to do this. But then they go on to say something very important. They say, God, do all this in the name of Jesus Christ that he may be glorified and not us. You see, far too often I think we pray our prayers in such a fashion that we think, God, if this only works out, look how things are going to look for us. Look how important I'm going to be. Look how important it's going to seem that I did these things. When they pray, they said, God, heal sick people because we're allowed to preach your word that you might be glorified, that you might increase, that you might get all the glory. And can I just tell you, when God gets the glory, it works out way better for all of us anyway. It works out way better for all of us anyway. So when we go to the throne of mercy God, I want you to notice too that and I didn't say this I got going, sorry. They spent a lot of verses just praising God for who he is before they ever asked him for anything. And I think that for far too many of us, the power that's missing in our prayer life far too often is that we don't spend time telling God that we love him just for who he is, not for what he can do for us. Just because just he's God. God, you're an amazing God. You scooped out the oceans. God, you spoke the world into existence. You are my master. You are my Lord. You are the government that has no limit. You have no check. You have no balance. God, your power is all inspiring. God, you died for my sins. God, you provided for me life in your grace, and your mercy, not of anything that I had done. God, you saved me. Now would you allow me to do your will? What if our prayers sounded more like that? What if we spent a lot of time telling God that we love him and how amazing he is? Can I just tell you what I think might happen? Look with me at verse 31. We see the sovereignty they recognized, the supplications they requested, and finally the spirit that they received. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is the place where they were assembled together was shaken. place where they were assembled together was shaken. Are you picking up what I'm putting down right there? The place where they assembled together began to shake. Now, I don't know about you, but I know me. and I'm just going to speak for me right here and hope you get on the train with me. I want to be a part of a prayer meeting where God hears our prayers in such a way that the foundation of this building shakes. You say I believe he's talking about a spiritual shaking. Maybe he was. I think if he would wanted to talk about a spiritual shaking I believe he would have said their spirit stirred. There was a word for that. I believe when he says shaking it's it's a word that talks about an earthquake. I believe that the people of God got together and had a time where they praised God for who he was. And then they prayed to God for who he was. And they asked God to let them preach his word for his glory. And I believe that God just came down and with a the still small blow he said, I want you to know that I heard you. And things started shaking. Huh? I'll buy another. One. <laughs> things started shaking you say well God wouldn't do that no more preacher well God God just don't do that no more preacher that's that's the book of Acts and here we are in a refined culture 2017 in the great United States of America and God just wouldn't shake our foundation anymore same God ain't it same God My word said he's the same today as he was then. And he'll be the same tomorrow as he is today. If he don't shake our foundation, it's not because he can't. It's because we won't pray with a faith that he can. You want to know when your life changes? When your situation goes from where it's at to where it's going? It's when you learn to ask God to use you in that situation. Then suddenly, those circumstances, they don't seem so bad anymore. I don't know when you're going to be delivered from that, but I know that you can glorify God in that. You want to know when your Sunday school class will have a renewed spirit? Say, God, I just wish my class had the same spirit that it once did. Maybe you ought to pray as a group like you once did. Maybe you should pray that God would bring his spirit down. Want to know when the church will explode and the foundation will shake and our new windows will fall out on the ground and it won't matter? It's when we get together in one accord and we say, God, you're sovereign, you're holy. Shake these walls plumb to the ground. But we do it with a faith that we believe he can. And I don't know about you guys, but my prayer is that God would shake this place. God would shake my life. and God would shake your life. And that God would explode in an earthquake of his spirit like we've never experienced before. Let us pray. Father God, God, you are God. You are holy. You are blameless. You are limitless. God, you allow us in our hell-bound, sinful state to come to you, God. And we thank you. We thank you that we can come to the table, Lord, that we can bring our petitions to you. And so, God, this morning, I simply pray that your will be done in this house. Your will be done in this house, Lord God, that you would get the glory for whatever's been done and whatever's going to happen in this house this morning. God, your will be done. Someone here needs to lay burdens at your feet that they can rise up and take this communion with the cleanness of heart. Then you burden them to the point that they cannot sit in their pew without laying it at your feet. Someone here doesn't know you as their Savior, and Lord God, I pray that you would Reach down from heaven and save them this morning, Lord. But most importantly, I pray that you would be glorified in whatever we do, Lord Jesus. And it's in your precious, saving, heavenly name we pray, God. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.